0: You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. Once again, it is an honor and a pleasure to have you back here for the next 30 minutes or so as we discuss all things sobriety and addiction recovery. Today, I'm bringing you an amazing guest. His name is Adrian Godino. He is the host of the Addictive Pod and a recovering addict of many varieties on his path to become a licensed and certified therapist. So he will be out there helping people in our community even more than he already is with this show. He's based out of Toronto, Canada. And check this out, guys. He currently works at a home with children with disabilities, guiding them to see their abilities. So already doing amazing things within just the helping and prospering community and it's such a Honored to have you on the show today, Adrian. Welcome to From Sobriety to Recovery. How are you today?
1: I'm good, man. After hearing that intro, I need that as my uh, like motivation in the morning. Thanks for that.
0: We'll uh, we'll uh, we'll 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 text all that out, and we'll be like, you just <laughs> make it your daily mantra. I've I've got many. You know, it's uh, I love technology because I mean, I'm in Los Angeles. You're in Toronto, Canada. It's so great to be able to connect with you. Just, uh, you know, tell me about how life has been going with you. Uh, let, you know, we're not going to spend much time on rock bottom and the history. Cause I think that most of us have very similar stories of how we got into addiction recovery, but there is that part of me that loves to just hear, uh, you know, a bit of that background that says, okay, this is who I was, but this is what I'm doing now. Can you just briefly run over, you know, where it was, how long you've been sober, where you were when you decided to get sober?
1: Yeah, for sure. I, um, I've been sober for coming up on two years and, um, I came into recovery a bit over three years ago. So it took me a while in the beginning. And when I first came into recovery, so I was only 19. Um, and I was on a trip to Southeast Asia and basically all of my behaviors came to a head and, um, led to a psychotic break. So I, I was on vacation. Um, I was drinking, doing drugs, um, having anonymous sex, basically. Um, and um, it was just it, all of those factors led to me um, just losing it. I started to hallucinate and um, left my friends, went to a motel. Um, finally, made. I ended up making it back home thanks to a friend helping me out. And I came so close to that edge of insanity and death like they talk in the big book, the pillars of, uh, of death and insanity. And I knew that if I continued with those behaviors, that's what was going to happen. Um, I was suicidal. I was incredibly depressed and I just hated myself so much. So when I heard um, the 12 steps, when I went to my first meeting, that's when I made that decision and had hope that this would work for me.
0: I love that you bring up the death and then the pillars part. Cause one of my favorite sayings is I didn't want to die. I just didn't want to live like this anymore. And when I say that it's really, cause I just thought that death was my only way out of this circle, this cycle of abuse and, and trauma to myself and, and of the addiction. And it clearly looks like you had one of those same come to Jesus moments where you're like okay if i continue down this path it's only going to lead to death there is no positive that's going to come out of this and you just you made that decision to change
1: yeah that's exactly it it was um I, it was the end of the road like i really knew that that's what was going to happen and it was very very clear to me um then again it took me another year to actually get sober on those behaviors because after i got better I thought, what the hell am I doing here? I'm not an addict. I just had a, a bad trip to Southeast Asia. Like, what am I doing with all these like 40 year olds in this meeting? Um, and I was feeling really good. I had my health back. I was going back to school and I just, I stopped t- calling my sponsor and just did my own thing. Um, but sure enough, that brought me back a second time to the rooms and, and since then I've been sober because that was, uh, that was a pretty rude awakening for sure.
0: You know, I saw a really cool meme the other day um on Instagram it, it's something to the effect of you know I just woke up one day and just decided I wasn't going to behave like this anymore and when I heard it I thought well yeah in, in a way I mean when I woke up on you know January 12th of 2017 it was like okay I this this can't be me anymore I I have to change it, it it's it felt like I made that decision on a dime but as I've gotten further along into my recovery what I've really Come to understand, was there was hundreds, and if not for me, I was in my 40s, thousands of times where I woke up and said, I can't be this version of me anymore. And each one of those times I said it, it, it was me building another block, you know, almost like a, uh, a Tower of Babel yeah. kind of situation where I was just building it up till finally I got up to the heavens and said, Okay, I really can't do this anymore. So it wasn't necessarily one decision, though it certainly felt like it on January 12th. And it sounds like you had that same epiphany. like. You thought it was oh i' just I just decided one day I was going to stop, but it really wasn't. It was a ton of different mornings you woke yeah. up and said, "What the hell did i do
1: yeah, that's exactly it and um and each time was more painful because it was like, oh my god and and the thought started to creep in that was like you can't change you're screwed. this is who you are. this is just you're beyond uh help at this point, and you can't tell anybody what you've been doing so that that it got harder. The further down that year and a half of in and out of the rooms journey, it it got harder each time um, because the the self-hatred just kept building over the failures. So, man, when I see people coming in and out of recovery, like my heart just totally goes out to them. It's the most depressing period uh, that you can go through, I think. I agree cuz it's
0: uh, what another saying that I heard in one of my very first meetings is the f- the further I get away from my last drink the closer I get to my next and I think and another one I also heard from the same person was I might have a relapse in me but I'm not sure I have another recovery.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, I heard and, that and, one too.
0: Right and it's like in and, and you know for the sober curious out there who who check into the show just to see what life could be like when they're sober and if if they've made that decision I'm never going to do this again and then two weeks later they're back in the bar they're back in the using they're back whatever vice of choice they have it's like the, there's almost like a shame that builds up like, ah, uh, other people are doing it. Why can't I clearly yeah. I'm, I'm less than, do you, did you feel that in yourself or do you see that in yourself? Uh, in do you see that emotion in other people when you wa- watch them sort of revolving door through the sobriety recovery world?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. Because when I picked up that phone after like six months of going out, um, and, and called up my sponsor, like the amount of shame of being of having to admit, Hey, um, are you free to talk? Like, can we get back together? I I'm, uh, I'm really struggling. Um, and then the, because I had been going through so much self-hatred and, Oh, you're, you're a loser. You're never going to get better. You almost start to assume that the other people see you that way too. So the fear was, Oh, why would he want to sponsor me again? He, he knows that I'm a loser. Like he knows that I'm not going to be committed and that I'm just going to fail again. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of shame and then eventually showing back up and showing up again. And, and, um, I think the, the friends that I made in recovery really saved me because they would, we would just go for breakfast together. We would hang out and there was a lot of acceptance there and they were able to, by just having that unconditional, um, support for me. It was able to they were able to break away a lot of the barriers of shame and a lot of the 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 self-critical doubts that I had that were just killing me. Um, So, yeah, for uh, for anybody who's going through that, I just hope that they're able to find people like I found who who are able to support them through it.
0: Let's touch up upon that for a minute, Adrian. Because I love that you bring this up. When people are thinking about building their own community, talk to us about the steps that you went through about you know deciding who was it that you were gonna you were gonna allow in. Because it's a very vulnerable space when yeah. you get into sobriety and recovery, and you've got all of these things. Because for most of us, we weren't just addicted to one thing, you know. Even if it was you know sex or drugs and rock and roll and, and, and marijuana or whatever else, but then there was also that self loathing, that shame, that inner hatred. We became a Addicted to just beating ourselves up. So you step into sobriety and recovery and you're already super vulnerable. And now you're trying to allow other people in and they're going to influence your recovery journey to some extent. And so you have to be extremely mindful of how you pick and choose who is in your circle of trust. What were some of the ways that you decided how you were going to build your circle of trust?
1: Yeah. Oh man. Um, that's a really good question, and I don't think that um, I didn't think through it at the time. It just kind of happened. Um, but the very first meeting that I went to, I heard somebody share a story. Uh, he had just got back from Singapore. I was in Vietnam. I had just come back from Vietnam. Um, it it just had so many similarities to mine, um, and the way that he described how he was feeling about what had happened was so similar to the way that I was feeling. Um, that, uh, it wasn't that very same day, but it was another time that I saw him. I, I went up to him and I had the, um, I don't know if it's courage or desperation or what it was, but I just had the, uh, I was given the ability to be like, Hey, my name's Adrian. Um, what you said really, uh, resonated with me. Are you free after, can we just go for a walk? And he he was probably like, Oh my God, what the hell is wrong with this kid? um, he looks like a mess. I better go for a walk with him. So he doesn't kill himself. So we went for a walk and, uh, I just, I shared my story with him as well. And I think that's really, if, if there was any one thing that someone needs to do to build support and recovery, it's to share vulnerably and to, to not be, not let the shame cover up, um, opening up to someone and to actually express, what happened and how you're feeling about what happened. And that's how close friendships are made. And the friendships that I made in those first couple of months are some of the closest friendships I have to this day. Um, it's really, really powerful when you can connect with someone over the same wound and the same path to recovery.
0: It really is. And when you mention your Vietnam story and then you bring up this gentleman with the Singapore story, I. Out of college, and it took me twelve years to get out of college because I, you know, the best place to hide as an addict is in college. Um, moved to Dallas, and I ended up getting this amazing international job. The business itself was very corrupt, but the traveling opportunities they provided me were amazing. And I got stationed in Singapore for my first six months working with this company. Oh wow! And we would go to Kuala Lumpur in Indonesia, and uh, needless to say, the alcohol and the, and just all the mayhem ensued and so I have my own blackout in Indonesia wake up in Singapore story that it did not turn out well (laughs) yeah Uh, it's just interesting I'm like oh yeah it's like it's something about Southeast Asia and it still took me 10 more years to realize that my drinking was going to kill me (laughs) and I'm pretty sure I should have died there so I love that it's uh, I don't know maybe it's just symbiotic that there's something about when we talk about these things, we realize how many of us had extremely similar situations, yeah. how having empathy towards one another, you don't have to have gone through what I went through, but there's a, there's a, a level of understanding the basic human emotions that we're going through when we become so destructive And then being able to be vulnerable. And I think, again, this is why I love that your ultimate vision with what you're going to do with your addiction recovery goes into becoming a licensed and certified therapist because you want to put yourself in a situation where people day in and day out will come to you looking for a place where they can be vulnerable and they can get over their pain and suffering. And you want to be that conduit to guide them to that better world. How did you come about that decision? Because it is a major. A decision, you know, for your career and what you'll be around, but it's also just such a great way to give back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly it. It's the giving back piece that, uh, that initially drew me to it. And, um, it was also the experience of being a sponsor. Um, I think it was around, it was only like two months after I finally got sober. I had, I had been working through the steps for a year or or, yeah, maybe around a year. And my sponsor said, um, okay, you have a little bit of sobriety now, but this isn't going to stick around until you start to help other people until you start to give it away. That's when you actually, he was a big believer in, you learn 5% of the steps by going through them with your sponsor. And then you learn 95% by actually being a sponsor. Um, and that was just his mindset. And even though by all, uh, (laughs) by any outside appearance, I wasn't ready for it. (laughs) <laughs> um, he just threw me into it, you know. It's kind of a sink or swim, and and I turns out that I was ready for it, and I I had a really really good experience of sponsoring someone else, and um, I I would look forward to it. I think that, and, and I still sponsor, and I still look forward to it. I think hearing somebody else talking to them on the phone or meeting them for coffee, and just having that time set aside to listening to what's going on with them, and uh, just sharing with my own stuff about how I can relate to that or sharing advice of how to work through the steps and and see them transform. Um, it's just, it was the most fulfilling thing that I had done in my life. And I thought, hey, if if this could be something that I do, not just on the weekends, but this is what I actually commit my life to doing. And it's covered by insurance. If I was a therapist, then that would be a really good thing. Um and if I could take this beyond just the steps and actually, because I, I was working with a therapist at the time, if I could um deal with the underlying trauma and if I could be licensed to to deal with some of these other things that a sponsor isn't able to do, that would increase my ability to help people. Um and um I think I'm I'm a very I'm actually a very selfish person. Like it sounds <laughs> selfless to wanna <laughs> to, to wanna be a therapist, but what it is is that it's the most fulfilling thing. It's the most, for me, it's the, it's the thing that brings me the most happiness. And I want, I don't want to be just like, okay. And, and sort of happy. I want to be extremely happy. I'm still a greedy bastard, just like I was when I was an addict. And so <laughs> by being a therapist, I really think that I'll, I'll be able to get a lot of that fulfillment and I'll be able to um, have the, the type of happiness that I want in my life. I love that. And I love how you're framing it, too, because I don't find
0: anything wrong with that, because that's one of the things that led me to becoming an NLP master practitioner and uh, a certified life coach and all of these things, because it's like I... If you take your passion, which is a, something you do inwardly for yourself, and you turn it into your purpose, which is what you, happens when you turn it outwardly to, for the rest of the tribe, mm-hmm. yeah. When people say, "Well, you know, it's a, you know, what you're doing is really for yourself," I'm like, "Well, yeah, in a way, because I there's nothing that makes me happier than when people reach out and say you've been an integral part in." guiding me through this process. And I just, I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't found you. I'm like, Oh, that's if one person says that, then (laughs) I mean, if just one person says that I feel like, okay, then the whole point of starting the podcast and, and, and coaching people, I, 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 I won one person's life has changed. Therefore I changed the world.
1: That's so cool, man. And I almost forgot that about the NLP stuff. That's really cool. Cause one of my first therapists was a life coach and he helped me uh, more than anybody at that point it was incredible i love that you
0: mentioned there's there's like so much to unwrap from what you had just said but the, i want to go back to the sponsor aspect because i've had some of my listeners this one uh, from australia recently um there you know did three months i think with her sponsor and then the sponsor said hey you know um I've, I've done everything I can for you. I, you know, I need to release you back out and, you know, basically go find another sponsor. And it, there was a lot of pain that this woman went through hearing that from her sponsor because she was expecting this person to be with her forever. And she was the very first time the woman had sponsored anyone. And so uh, I was sitting here, and we must have Facebook messaged a ton about this. And uh, because I went through a different program than AA, I went through Kaiser's and tons of meetings and everything, but did never. Do the sponsor route? When you, what I would love to discuss is like, how did you choose a sponsor, and was there any point in time where you thought maybe you needed to switch or, or change that up? Because choosing a sponsor is extremely important because they're going to be the one who teaches you so much at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. How did you find the right one for you at the start?
1: Yeah, that's um, what happened. Was I was really desperate, and I had been to. The meeting that I went to, uh, the very first one, they basically said, Come to five or six meetings and see if this is really the right thing for you. Um, and so I went to like six meetings in four days or something like that, because I had nothing else to do. And I was really desperate. And around the end of that, I asked somebody there to sponsor me. And he said, Oh, I'm too busy or I have too many sponsors. Um, and I was really like, I was pretty angry at this. Like, I was pretty fed up um, because it, it blew my mind that people weren't sort of fighting over each other over who could be a sponsor. Um, and so I left that meeting, I went to another one and, um, when it was, uh, when it was time for sharing, I literally said, hi, my name's Adrian. I've been in recovery for six days or something. And I, I really need a sponsor if anyone's available, please uh, talk to me. Um, and then this other guy in the meeting, when he shared, he said, hi, I I, maybe I shouldn't say his name, but he knows who he is if he hears this. Um, And he said, hi, uh, my name is so and so and I'm available to sponsor. If anyone needs a sponsor, talk to me after the meeting, (laughs) which was I thought was kind of funny, but he had his reasons for it. Like he wanted he didn't want to be the one approaching me and selling me on it. He wanted um, me to make that first step and to actually talk to him, Um, which is what I did right after the meeting. I went and talked to him. Um, so I, it's not like I was super careful about who I chose to sponsor me and thought about it for weeks and weeks and talked to them and interviewed them, um, and gave them like a a test to see like who would be the right one. It was like, I need a sponsor now. This guy's available. Okay. He says, yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to start working the steps with him. Um, and I don't know if I got lucky or if, or if just the steps work on their own and the who the sponsor is maybe doesn't matter as much. I'm not sure. I'd have to think more about that, but that that's sort of the answer to your question. I basically went with who was available um, and that was that.
0: When I talk to people about step work and I've done a lot of research into it and there's definitely the more I, the more I discover about it, the more I'm like, I'm very intrigued. And, and definitely I, I know for a fact at some point in my journey, I will do the step work because it just seems like such a fascinating awakening. And I've heard people say that, that once you start working the steps, they just start to work. And it's, it's the guidance that comes from someone else who's gone through it, but it really just comes down to how much effort are you putting into it and what's your mindset going in. And it sounds like you just went in with the mindset, like this is what I'm doing now and come hell or high water. I'm going to figure this out. This gentleman's ready to take me on this journey. Let's go.
1: Yeah. And it was, <laughs> there was like, there was no time to lose here. Like, I, I don't know how to stress this enough. I, I was waiting for a, a psychiatrist to admit me to an inpatient program. Um, and I was waiting for a call back. I'd been waiting for a week already. And I was basically staying at home in my room for uh, the entire day and eating meals in my room um, and just going crazy. Like I was already crazy, I guess, but um, the only thing I did was go to meetings. So there was there's there was this level of um there's this level of desperation and there was also a degree of hope because step two is came to believe uh that a power greater than us could restore us to sanity. Um and I was insane. Like I really understood that I was insane. I had that amount of awareness. And um yeah, if <laughs> if other people could find whatever this power greater than themselves is and if they could be restored and uh it sounds like that's what was happening based on what people were sharing in the meeting so i was like this is what i have to do fuck the psychiatrist that i'm going to go to an inpatient program like my greatest fear is to be locked up in an insane asylum um or or to to stay in a a psych ward that would be my greatest fear um because i i visited someone when i was younger in a psych ward um so that was the level of desperation that I had at the moment, uh, which is why I kind of leapt at the occasion to to have a sponsor. I love that you go back to that
0: beginning where there was just the the fear of you know whether it be the psych ward or what was the next thing you were going to do because it takes me back, Adrian, to mine when I checked in to Kaiser on that Monday, and they had stuff throughout the day, and I just I. I'd only left just because my house was like a mile away and I'd go home and I would just sit there and my first month was just the detoxing and it was so painful. And I would just sit there in my bed and just shake and hot, cold shivers. And then, you know, as soon as the meeting was, An hour out, I just would drive back to the hospital and just sit in the room and other people would trickle in and Mm. we just start talking like I just didn't want to not be there. I just wanted to be around other people. And the the two, three, four, five year people who had already started doing their AA or doing refuge recovery, the things that they were talking about just – it sparked my brain. I was like, wow, there is just so much to unwrap here. This is so yeah. awesome. I thought it was just going to be go to a meeting, go home, and life would be the same. It's not. There's so much more you can
1: do if you just get involved. So what are these? Is the Kaiser uh, meeting, is that something like that's a free resource that you could go or was this something you had to sign up for? How did that work? You know, it's a great question because when I used to have Health
0: Net, and when I, I broke my leg on August 13th of 2016. And that's what that was. If I, if there was a beginning part to my final, you know, and we'll talk about this even more on when, when I do your show, it's mm-hmm. there was a beginning to my breaking point with the straw that broke the camel's back. It was breaking my leg skydiving and then tearing my meniscus and my LCL the next week playing football. Oh. I ended up laying in bed for three or four months and just drinking myself to death. And I had Health Net and they treated the leg injury horribly. And so my sister checked herself into rehab um, in October, and so I started looking at what the best hospital in LA was that had a, uh, an addiction awareness, addiction recovery program, and it was Kaiser. So I changed my mm. insurance, which was a pain in the butt to do. But uh, So I, I started planning months ahead for my upcoming sobriety. So I was already in the Kaiser system. And so when those, those days leading up to January 13th started to approach, um, it was a no brainer to finally call them and check in, and then, yeah, they had meetings at eleven a m nine a m one p m They had relapse prevention classes at night, they had alcohol awareness classes on Tuesday it literally, I was for the first six months I felt like I was there three times a day, just all the time if i wasn 't working and i wasn 't laying in bed healing, I was there. And uh, so it wasn't free, I had to switch my insurance over to them. But, you know, and then they had meetings that were like AA, they even had a meetings there that I would, you know, I, I attended, but I wasn't in the mindset to do steps, I just wanted to hear what they were talking about. So I don't really consider myself having ever done AA. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was, uh, when people say, you know, I needed a structure, I needed a system, Kaiser provided one to the int- upteenth degree and I don't know what I would have done without them I mean AA or refuge clearly would have been a great help but I mean they could get therapists and I mean mm, it was wow. just it was non-stop the kind they were in it I was demanded it wasn't like oh you can just come if you please no. yeah 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 you want to be in this program you will be at these next 17 meetings in the next five days <laughs> yeah wow
1: that's awesome that sounds really good I wonder if they have that in Canada um because I mean, I'm not one of those people who will say like 12 steps is the only way it worked for me, but I, of course, other things are going to work. And I think 12 steps don't work for a lot of people. And the defining factor might not be, it's probably not the program, but more about what that individual is bringing to it. And I know that when I found the 12 steps, I had the desperation and the the drive to do whatever it took to get better. And I had faith that it would work. I really firmly believed that if this guy could do it, like I could do it. And did you find that with your recovery as well? Like you had those two elements when you found Kaiser?
0: Yes. You know, knowing other people had already followed this path and it had worked for them. Led me, you know, it's it's that mentality of like, well, if it, if one, it's just, if this just worked for one person, yeah. then it can, then it can work for me. I just need to commit to it. Mm-hmm. And when I got it, I, I started going to Refuge Recovery, at, I think in the fall. So it would have been right around August of 2017. And I started going to Refuge. I love the idea that it was Buddhist based and i had done a lot of Buddhist you know, readings just because of, of Eckhart Tolle and Alan Watts and people like that. And, um, so when I got into Refuge and they started having us go over the four truths, it's very similar to AA, uh, although I don't think Refuge people would like me saying that. I just think to me, I, I knew enough about both okay. to realize there was a connection uh, yeah. because one's Buddhist and one's Christian based. And, and and I love the beauty of them both. Both programs are amazing for what they, they've helped people achieve. But I say all that because I got into Refuge because football season was coming around. And in America, American football is huge. And that was my trigger when the ball gets kicked off and the whistle gets blown, it is time to black out. Yeah, And I had, and I knew I needed more resources than I currently had. Kaiser was doing great, but I, I mean, I wanted there to be a whole, I wanted there to be hundreds of people around me that said there's a better way. And so I started going to meetings on Sunday nights for refuge because it was proof to me that I could normally by 6 PM on a Sunday, I'd be going into my second blackout of the day. And now at 6 PM, I was going into a meeting and it was just the proof to me that I could beat football.
1: (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: So it was, and, 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 you know, when you now going from the sponsor you know, conversation or back over to the therapist situation, when now that you you know, got your two years in and you've seen the ebb and flow and you even had, you know, you said three years you were thinking of this, but it really took you that that extra year till you stepped into it with a lot of strength, as you start preparing and going to school to be a therapist, how do you think all of these experiences that you've had, the ebbs and flows, the stepping in, but then stepping back out, how do you think that will ultimately benefit you? And I ask this question because I really think a lot of people forget that there is no failure. It's just a little bit of feedback. It's just progress. And they think, well, you know, I've already Quote unquote, fail twice at getting sober, mm-hmm. it's not going to work for me, but it does. It can work for you at any point in your life. You just, again, commit and step into it and have faith. What, is it, what has it been like for you to take your lessons of, again, quote unquote, failure, but really just progress and be able to put those into yourself and to be able to one day show other people that it doesn't matter how many times you come through, we're ready to help you when you're here.
1: Oh man, that's such a beautiful question. I really appreciate that because there are days where some of that shame creeps back up when I think about um how long it took me and how many failures, quote unquote failures it took me. Um and I think to answer your question in in just a word, it would be empathy. Um when I'm on that other side of the of the therapist uh chair and I'm I'm helping somebody else in the future and they're um going back on what they've said that they're going to do and they're leaving for six months and then coming back and asking for help again, I think, cause that is definitely going to happen. Um, I'm going to have a lot of empathy for them and a lot of understanding of the, of the pain that occurs when that happens. And I think, um, being able to relate to somebody else and being able to, um, really imagine being in their shoes just helps you so much to be able to offer them help and and to be able to offer them advice so um yeah i love that question i think i'm going to i'm going to keep that in mind as i uh, as i keep going down this path of trying to become a therapist um of just uh, how how everything that i've experienced is increasing my ability to relate to others my ability to empathize
0: and i love that you have this this approach and, and this connection with the word empathy. Cause I've, I've talked about empathy before on the show where I don't necessarily, I don't need to have gone through your particular situation, Adrian, mm-hmm. to empathize with you when, when empathy comes from understanding what basic human needs, what basic human emotions have been violated that got us into this position to begin with. So it can be um, safety, uncertainty, needing variety, love and connection, being kicked out of a tribe, being rejected by those that you love. Like, You know, Even somebody in Syria running away from a war-torn world and being stuck on the shores of of the Mediterranean Sea trying to get across, I don't understand what that is. That's very extreme, Mm -hmm. but I understand what it's like to feel like I've lost my safety, I've lost my home, I've lost the people that I love, and I've lost my community. I know what that feels like. By knowing that, I can now empathize with what they're going through because, well, their picture is way different than mine the basic human emotions running through them are very similar. And that's where I think people get stuck up on that word empathy. They're like, well, I don't, I don't know what Adrian went through. So how can I empathize? Mm-hmm. You can understand the basic human emotions, shame and grief and, and rejection. We all got suffering. That's what makes us so, uh, human is that we all have gone through suffering and that's usually what leads us down the path of addiction. So I love that you have this focus on empathy because if more humans just empathize with other humans, we could easily step into their shoes. And I think there would be more of a a coalescence of the whole world as one rather than these little split factions that we seem to have
1: everywhere. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I agree with you. I do have to push back a little bit, though, because I think that please, please. You, you're saying that um, you don't have to go through the same thing to have empathy. I agree with you. I do think, though, that when it comes to addiction treatment, um, it's a lot better to have a specialist who has gone through something similar to be treating you. So, for example, um, somebody who is fleeing Syria and experiencing the trauma of war. I don't know if I would be the right therapist for them. I could definitely have empathy for them, but I would rather that they find somebody who has experienced something similar to that that degree of trauma. Or let's say someone has an eating disorder. I've never struggled with um, an eating disorder. I can have empathy for it. I can understand some of the similar causes that might be underlying it that underlie my addiction. But I would refer them to a, an eating disorder specialist rather than attempt to treat them. Do you do you agree with that or do you think that Oh yeah.
0: I love that you're going deeper on the word empathy here because I think where I was going was just as a human having empathy for others and, and knowing what that could feel like. But I absolutely agree. Like I, I get people who will reach out to me and they'll have heroin or crystal meth yeah. addictions. And because I never did heroin or crystal meth, I don't think I'm the right person to be able to help them because my issues were LSD and cocaine and, and ecstasy and, and alcohol. And so I absolutely agree. If you when you start to go deeper and, and you start looking for that specialist who's really going to be able to bring you back up into that person you were always meant to be, I definitely think if somebody were to reach out to me and say, I've got an eating disorder, I don't know that. So I don't think that I'd be, I wouldn't have that same story of waking up at three in the morning and going Mm -hmm. in and and binging and purging. So I absolutely agree that when you start to dive deeper and you start looking for a specialist to help you getting that person who's walked that same path, I do believe is extremely important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I'm it's uh, it's tough. It's tough. It's um, you're never going to find someone who's exactly like you and exact has the exact same experience. But I think the closer you can get probably will result in the better outcome. Um, But yeah, no, that's such a beautiful question, though. I really appreciate you asking that about the framing things as lessons rather than as failures. I think that's really, really important for anybody who or everybody does fail, but anybody, especially in addiction recovery to reframe their past like that is so important.
0: And that's one of the specialties that neuro-linguistic programming has taught me. It's that how important languages are, that the mm-hmm. languages that we use, like even how much emphasis I put on quote unquote failure. And it's not, it's progress, it's feedback. It's these languages that we're using in our heads uh, and, and the way we describe ourselves and the labels that, and, the identities that we attach ourselves to. So we did this in such a negative way in addiction mm. for so long. It's extremely important to me that we start to reframe how people saw themselves and realize you, you had a, you learned an amazing about how about how not to live life? <laughs> and yeah. so many of us have a lot of talents that came through our addiction that we we tend to say, no, I'm gonna put that whole part of me behind. I'm like, but you learned how to balance your your money or your balance, you know, as well as you could, you balance your life while suffering through so much. Let's take all of those talents and skills that you used to just put towards making it through a day and now let's put it towards you know expanding your life.
1: Yeah, I agree 100%. And, and one of the ways that I reframe, Or one of the words that I use um, to describe it is that, like, my addiction saved my life. Um, I really do think that at a certain point I would have taken my own life if it wasn't for the coping mechanism that I had in addiction. Um, And I've talked to a lot of people with similar stories. And I think it's a good way to reframe it because um, it undoes a lot of the negativity and a lot of the shame around it. And instead of this being the thing that destroyed my life, it's like, no, this was actually my medicine that I discovered at a pretty young age. And it was a medicine that I used to, to get through a lot of hard things. And it's not a great medicine, like I'm not going to use it anymore. But I can still sort of affirm my past self for surviving and for, for needing to survive and needing to get through things. Um, does that make sense?
0: It does. You know, the, it, it was medicine and then it became the poison Yeah, that, that led us to this. And, you know, I'm one of these, uh, I, I believe that, you know, before we're brought back down onto this planet, that we sort of, we, we pick what challenges we're looking to overcome to grow our soul in this lifetime. And so i you know, since I believe that above, above, at some point, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose these kind of parents, this kind of fam- familial history with addiction. I'm gonna choose to be addicted to all of this because this is the lesson I need to learn, and I think that. Um, had I not, you know, and I, but I think that wherever that free will came in was that at 40, I could have said, Nope, I'm good with addiction. I'm just going to kill myself with the, with this. And I would be dead by now, or I could choose. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, at some point the the choice, do you keep going down the path or do you change the path? That's where I think the free will came in for me. And I absolutely believe that I had to go through all that to become, this version of myself so that my soul could grow and learn from it. And, uh, you know, as much as I'd love to go back and change it all and, and, and care about my life at 18, I think I had to go through all this. I think this is what I chose to do in order to learn. Uh, and do you, what, what are your thoughts on uh, I mean, this is such a metaphysical kind of question. Yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah. You're going deep. I was about to say, this is going. To, no, I love it though. I love it. Uh, go ahead. I mean, just, but, you know, I mean, how do you see, do you see this? I guess the easiest way to, to, to frame this question now would be, do you see what has happened to you as a curse or do you see it as a blessing?
1: Okay. Yeah. That's, that's bringing it down a bit. I think, um, I think I, I see it as a blessing for sure. Um, and the way you asked that earlier question about how it's going to help me to be a better therapist, that really, you hit the nail on the head and that's why it is a blessing. I think that the the trauma that I went through and that I put myself through in addiction, um, it opened up a door for me and it opened up a door to a way of life and a way of giving back that I would never had before. Um and I was talking about this a little bit before um we started recording, but it just it really strikes me, and I, I get a little bit emotional when I think about this of how incredible it is to go through this healing journey because it's not just healing for me it's healing an entire line of intergenerational um trauma and and, and a line of suffering and and using certain coping mechanisms i'm stopping that at at my Generation and and healing in this moment. And then as I go through that process, I in turn can help others to heal, um, who are on similar trajectories based on their passed down um, traumas and and pains. And it's the interconnection that we have with all the people in our life. It's so incredible. It's not this individual, um, I'm just going to get better so that I'm better. It's I'm going to heal so that you use the word tribe so that my tribe that everyone I'm connected with has interaction with this healing. And, and um, yeah, it's a blessing. It's a a hundred percent. It's a blessing.
0: Just what a great, beautiful way to bring that up. And it sparks so many more questions. And I want to get to discussing your active pod podcast here in a second, but you're right about, other people being touched by your healing. Cause when I got sober, I was just like, I'm going to die if I don't. And I didn't think about how it might affect my tribe of people I went to school with, but I've since had a few of my old hardcore drinking buddies get sober. Um, I've had a a couple more reach out to me and say, Hey, you used to party i mean we, we they called me the apocalypse because when i showed up the world <laughs> oh going to end. right like i had other friends called hurricane we had tornado we had monsoon <laughs> everybody had theirs and, I, and they, they were like you know what jesse's the apocalypse he's all of them he's nuclear holocaust oh, everything brought no. into one. Oh no uh, and these people have reached out and been like dude if you can do it i know i can do it and yeah. i don't think that as an insult i'm like yeah i was like i i'm the guy who blacked out in new orleans 11 times in one day so let's bring it come on if you want to mm-hmm. join. And so I would love that you tie that in because I healed and the reverberations through my community have been more than I could have ever have imagined. And it's 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 it was such a beautiful secondary gain. I didn't see it coming, but man, it's 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 been amazing. So I'm sure you see that light too coming from people around you. And it's got to just bring fulfillment into what you've done for yourself and how it's helped others.
1: Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I haven't had a similar experience as you with a with a friend coming into recovery, but I have had experiences with family members. And um, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I don't think addiction doesn't exist in a bubble. It's always something that affects other people and something that's passed on or um, or, or done in a group. And, yeah, it's, it's really cool to see the effect of, uh, the decisions that I've made in the last few years and, um, just see the ripple effect. It's, it's amazing. One
0: of the things too, I love about you, Adrian, is that you are quite young to have made this decision to step into an addiction recovery lifestyle and it's life term and you're ready and you're rocking it and you're going to do so many great things in the future. Because oftentimes uh, what I've gathered from people who've reached out to me, things I've heard in meetings is that people think that, um, you know, it's like, well, I'm just so young. Clearly, I don't need to make this decision yet. And you're mm-hmm. for those people out there who are, you know, 17, 18, 21, 24, and they're thinking, ah, I, I've got another five years of doing this until I need to figure it out. You're showing that what well, you can decide you're done with this world of, the, yeah. of addiction now. And you can go on and you can start doing great things. And we don't all have to be 40 when we make this decision decision. decision. You can make this decision at 23, if that's what you want to do, just think about it and do it. And I love that because I just, I don't know. We talked about this when we first met about how you don't like a lot of people bringing up the age, but I love it because you show that there is no age where it's finally, I can, it's been too long. It's been too much. You said way before many people would, I'm done with it. Let's, let's, let's find a better path. Yeah. What do you, how do you see that affecting your community, especially the youth out there who already know they have an issue with drinking or drugs and, and they're like, I don't want to do this anymore, but I just feel like it's too young to make that decision.
1: Yeah. Oh man. I think, um, for anybody under 25, that's going to meetings. First of all, the one thing that is going to piss them off more than anything is people saying, oh, you are so lucky you i wish i had come into recovery when i was 20 i wish i had come into recovery when i was 22 nothing will piss them off more than that so i let me anybody, apologize then <laughs> no, let no, me apologize because no, 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 no. i know <laughs> i said that to you i'm almost positive no, but that those was, came out of my mouth man i'm it's, sorry no but that's okay because i've been in recovery for a while i'm not in that resentful place anymore it didn't annoy me now but when i was first there it was really annoying and it was really um i'm not sure exactly what it is. Um, part of it might be the idea of missing out or the idea of being weaker than other people. Um, I think that, yeah, I was only 19 and, um, the addict is still very active in my mind at the time in early recovery. So that voice in my head that's saying, Oh my gosh, you have so much that you're missing out on. Your friends are still going out every weekend. You're still in your, like you're not even in your prime. You're only 19. Um, so that voice was very, very active. And I was really lucky because my sponsor never really mentioned my age in that early recovery time. He really just um, just took me for face value of somebody who wanted to get better. And he never brought that up. And um, we just worked the steps. And that was a lifesaver for me. And I don't know. I, I think that if you're really young in recovery and... Um, You've already had some experiences that are opening your mind to the idea that these behaviors are going to kill you, then put yourself 100% into recovery, really devote yourself to it, because it's, it's the best commitment you can make. And um, yeah, it's, it's really an incredible decision to make and can only bring about good.
0: Only bring about good. And I do remember when I first got to Ball State University and I started doing double shots of vodka in the shower, getting ready for the night, thinking this is not appropriate behavior. (laughs) And I knew it was bad then. And I'm like, you know, I was like, I could have just nipped it in the bud and been like, you know what you I know you've only been doing this for six months, but man, you, you already know that you're off the deep end, bro. Come on, man. Let's <laughs> fix this up. So yeah, yeah it, it's uh you know, when you start to see that behavior, you just have to make that decision.
1: Yeah. And, um, I think that after six months of being in recovery, I think like age was one of the reasons that I left. I think I, it was sort of this idea of like, Oh, I'm not, uh, I'm fine. I've only, I only had sort of one really bad experience, I guess. So that's sort of at least the voice that was going on in my head. So it was one of the reasons I left and I'm just glad that I didn't let it go on for too long. It was maybe a six month period of going back out and it was enough for me just to see the pattern. I didn't have to see the entire trajectory of ending up back in the streets of Vietnam, like covered in blood and puke. Like it, it didn't have to go that far down. Um, and I just hope that anybody in that early age, like in the 19 to 25 or whatever age you are, I hope that you can just see that pattern and and have the ability to see where the pattern leads and then make the decision based on that. Um, because yeah, it's, it's not worth wasting uh, any more time than you need to.
0: It's not. And one of the my favorite reasons for bringing on so many different varieties of people into the show is that even if somebody isn't, you know, in their young twenties or young thirties or young forties, that they're going to be in meetings with people like us. And, and, and this opportunity to hear us discuss all of this, it gives them a, a perspective of what you're going through. And, and then it will give them questions that they can ask when they go to help someone at whatever age they might be at to just yeah. know, Oh, okay. I've, I've heard what one person at 23 or one person at 40. Went through. Let me see how I can connect with this person. So, for those of you out there listening, thinking, "Well, I don't, I'm not, you know, 23 or 44." It's more to the point of just learning other people's viewpoints and perspectives on addiction, so that when you do go to the meetings, and someone sounds or looks very similar to Adrian and I, that you're just able to make that connection and say, "Oh, okay, I get, I get where those people were coming from. How can this help me connect with this person and be vulnerable with them right now?" And I love that you have a podcast where you're bringing people on. And and I do want to wrap up by, you know, talking about Addictive Pod, because I I really would love for people to check it out. I I listened to some of it this morning, again, just because I, I, I love you have... I, I seem, I feel like I'm very uh, energetic and, and and sometimes I feel like I can be a little too, like, ah, I have a lot of energy. <laughs> uh, there's a calming effect that I look forward to have experiencing whenever we do, a, the, whenever I'm on your show. That's there's funny. a calming effect that you have when you interview people that uh, sometimes I'm like, maybe I should, put, maybe I should slide more no, into that. No, no, I'm no, no,
1: <laughs> no, 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 That's so funny, man, because I was listening to you the other day and I had the exact opposite reaction where I was like, man, this guy brings the energy. Maybe I need to be working on bringing more energy. And it dawned on me right now that like, nah, we're both exactly the way we're supposed to be. And people will need different things and find different things. So I think that's a beautiful thing.
0: Uh, thank you. For, Cause I, I do these little, I, I wouldn't call them rants, but sometimes I call it the, like the, my motivational soapbox at the end of my. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it, man. I love it. And I've gotten a lot of responses like, uh, because I've mentioned, maybe I should stop doing these. And I've had people write me back like, "Do not stop doing that." (laughs) I
1: was
0: like, "It's like I I listen to you while I'm running, and you just make me run faster." So you're right; people resonate with different. personalities and different exposures to this and you you have interviewed a ton of people for your show what is it like for you to go out and find other people in the community and bring their personality on to the show and introduce the world to the amazing stuff that they're doing
1: oh man it's so cool i look forward to it it's probably the favorite part of my week um just doing an interview with somebody and i i i find it it's it's a little tricky to balance finding out enough about them that I can come up with questions and, and make it an interesting interview uh, with not knowing too much about them and keeping it a genuine, like, curiosity in and in a more natural conversation. So I'm still working on finding that balance, but I love it, man. It's, it's the highlight of my week, and I've met some really, really amazing people, yourself included. So I'm loving it. What are your you know, if there was like a theme to what you're trying to
0: express with the addictive pod, what would that be? What is the, the primary message? What is what is it that your 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 goal when people come to listen, what is it that you're hoping they take away?
1: Hmm. Um, I think the primary message would be the shared experience of two things. Um, the shared experience of what causes the addiction and the shared experience of what it takes to recover and to transform your life, and so I hope that anybody listening to my podcast, whether they're a heroin addict, an alcoholic, a binge eater, uh, a sex addict, um, a gambler, regardless of of what their coping mechanism is, mechanism is, I hope that they can listen to an interview and and find those commonalities, find that shared experience, and and take advice from it and and grow with that and and apply it to their own lives and help them recover. That's really my my core um, message and my core hope is that it, it helps other people to recover.
0: That is the coolest answer to that question I've gotten in a long time, man. I no, love that. Funny. Because it is, right? Like, you know, uh, when, whether you go to NA or AA or whatever the meeting it is, you know, sometimes we yeah. get, they get secular and they're like, nope, you're, you're addicted to alcohol. You can't be in the NA meeting. And it's when they come to your mind show, they, it's like, no, nah, man, doors open whatever yeah. you've got, like you can find a commonality. Um, you don't even have to look that hard. If you just have to literally open up your ears and you're going to hear a couple of trigger words and you're gonna be like, yep, yep. Yeah. That, that's, that's why I did what I did.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. And, and, um, I was talking earlier about how I don't understand binge eating disorders as much, but I did a couple of interviews with, with women who had, uh, eating disorders and, Although I don't understand the use of food as much, there was so much that I related to them and there was so much that I learned from them of how they, they grew from that and how they got over it. And um, it's really incredible. I, I've gotten a lot of cool feedback from people who aren't addicts as well, like people who just um, came across the show or, or heard about it. And that's been really cool just to hear that, you know what, if you're just a, a average person trying to transform your life or trying to be happy, Um, hearing some of these interviews could help you out. And that's a beautiful thing. And, and that's,
0: that's, again, everything we've talked about in this interview, this, in this conversation has been about, you know, giving back and, and just building this community and you're, can I keep growing? You're going to keep building it. Let's see if we can get more people from my audience to go over and check you out and start listening to you as much as they listen to me. Cause I, I love what you're doing. Um, uh, Instagram at addictive pod, if I remember correctly if, yeah. and, uh, are what, uh, where can people find the podcast itself?
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's on, it's on Spotify. It's on Apple music. Um, basically wherever you find your podcasts, um, or you can find me on Instagram and click the link there to to find all the different platforms. And it's yeah, it's at Addictive Pod for the Instagram. I'm going to be putting
0: all the links to that in the show notes, so I know I get a ton of people off Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, I mean, everywhere. And so if you're looking for a link, and again, you can just jump right over to Instagram at Addictive And you'll be able to, boom, click it, and you'll be listening to it within seconds. And it's just remarkable that we've gotten to connect today, have you on the show. Adrian, this has been everything I wanted it to be and more. I had no preconceived notion of how this would go. I just knew it was going to be awesome after we talked the other day. And it has been exactly what I wanted, just a great opportunity to connect with someone else who who has shared a similar journey and is doing amazing things for the rest of the community. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Oh, man. No, thank you. Honestly, Jesse, I think that like I look up to you a lot and, and in this community and in this way of reaching people through a podcast, I think like what you do is amazing and the energy that you bring. And so, yeah, it's been awesome being on the show. So thanks again. And um, yeah, we'll talk soon.
0: We will. We will. So for everybody out there and from sobriety to recovery land, go and check out Addictive Pod. As always, it is an honor and a privilege to have you for the time I know we went long but I mean come on that was that was not that was not a conversation I could stop at 30 minutes you know (laughs) we had to keep rolling with that yeah so as always you know hit me up on social media at from sobriety to recovery I've got the Facebook group that I just launched at From Sobriety to Recovery, doing coaching sessions in a group format every Thursday night, 6 p.m. Pacific. Google what time zone that puts you in for me. If you're outside of the United States, please join us there. It is still complimentary. Uh, You can go and find the link to that at my Instagram profile as well. As always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. See you next week. Bye-bye.